The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, recorded from a small child's bedroom in London. It's the podcast that just started taking throw-in seriously and will never, ever look back. On today's show, we'll be chatting with Jack Joyce from Sports Interactive about pulling off the perfect gig and press. We've got Laurie McMenemy in the book club. We've got our first community centre. We've got your letters and we've got Alex Stewart and an update on the FM Bundesliga Challenge. And we've got the space to do it all as well because this is our brand new shiny season two. But let's get straight into it. Joining me today, Jack Joyce of Sports Interactive. Hello, Jack. Hey, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Now, what exactly do you do all day over there? <laughs> so um, at Sports Interactive, I'm a senior QA lead and um, I'm primarily responsible for the art, animation, graphics and match AI areas of the game. So um, it's a bit of a broad scope, but um, I essentially help manage the um, the testing and the, um, which areas we focus on and um, directly communicate what changes we think we need to the developers. So are you like CJ? Are you like the dream stealer who, when someone's found something in the game, like a little floor, that you shut it down to make it more realistic? More or less, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, when someone finds a, an exploit, uh, we're the ones that have to try and get it fixed. Um, we've got you on the show today because when we're when we're building teams and looking at different ways of playing the game, um, we we want to get these answers, you know, very much from the horse's mouth. And today we're talking about the Gegenpress. As far as I understand, it's one of the most popular tactics on the game for fairly obvious reasons. For for anyone who doesn't know, and this will be limited to about three people who fell in a well in 2012, what is a Gegenpress? Yeah, you're right. It's a very, very popular style used in the game. It's essentially just a style of football that heavily emphasises counter-pressing and winning the ball high up the pitch. And the, the primary reason that a team would want to do that is because they know when they win that ball really high up the pitch, then that's when you're going to create a lot of quality chances because um, the defence is disorganised and it's only one or two passes until you're at the opposition goal. Um, but yeah, it's um, very heavily popularised at the moment, um, mostly due to Klopp, but um, a a lot of teams are looking to utilize a high press nowadays like you see like leipzig as well are utilizing a very good high press yes red bull leipzig i just met them with schalke in the fm challenge but more on that later one of the things that this show tries to do is 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 make the jump from those earlier versions to these new versions where you really really have to think about how to put a team together and in this game, you can't just make anyone do gegenpress, can you? Like, if you've got a squad of chubby-cheeked cavaliers who just like to ping the ball to each other, they're they're gonna they're gonna be terrible at this. What what sort of players do you need? Well, yeah, to especially over the the longer term, you're gonna need players that have really high stamina, because um, in the short term you might be able to use a, an effective high press, but then. The player's long-term fitness and maybe towards the last 10, 15 games of the season is going to suffer. And you might suffer a lot more injuries than normal as well. So you, you definitely need players with very high stamina. But you also need players during the match with very high work rate. That's essential. It also helps if they're, you've got quite a, a pacey team because then you can close the gap between players faster. And that means you're you're effectively putting pressure on players faster. 
but there's also a lot of mental attributes that really help in this regard as well. Like um, anticipation's a key one because then your player can press from better angles, cut off that press passing angles better as well. It also helps to have uh, good aggression and determination as well. A lot of people misunderstand aggression and they think, oh, that's just is they're going two footed on them. I don't want that, but it actually means they're a little bit more eager to get into more of a physical game you know they'll close down the space faster and and more intently okay so let's break it down then i know that the game offers up a a template formation for gag and press but if we were building it from scratch what formation would would you go for jack what player roles and and what instructions that's that's a difficult question there's there's so many ways you can uh play a gag and press i would say when you're thinking about your formation don't just think about what best suits your players, but also think about how you want to counter the opposition team as well. So say you're playing a, a narrow diamond formation. That's a very niche formation, but what it will do in a gay compress, it, was, it will force the opposition out wide and it really congests that middle of the pitch. So maybe not just thinking about it from your team's perspective, but thinking about, okay, if I'm playing an opposition that's really dangerous through the middle and they've got a really dangerous number 10, and you're not so worried about them playing out wide and whipping crosses in. You can play a narrow diamond in a gay compress. You could also play like a, a 442 is quite effective as well in a gay compress because um, it just covers pretty much all the areas of the pitch really effectively. A 442 is quite a solid defensive shape, but that's more of a, a, a balanced shape. Like when you're playing a team where they've got a bit of a wide threat, they've got a bit of a central threat, but. Um, you just want to cover all areas of the pitch fairly evenly. I think that's something people don't do too, very often is where they think about, okay, how is my formation going to affect the way the team has to play around me when we're defending? Um, and then in terms of roles, again, there's so much you can do. But one thing I will say is that you don't necessarily need a playmaker when you're playing a gay compress. It's, um, I think Klopp said himself, he said, like, no playmaker in the world is as good as a good gay compressing situation. And what he means by that is, you know, you win the ball high up the pitch. It's only one or two passes until you've got a chance. You, you don't necessarily need that orchestrator in midfield if you've got a good solid midfield of workhorses that can help you win that ball higher up the pitch. The, the chance is almost going to create themselves against a disorganised defence. Is it, um, is it good to have people with, with high vision stats who can quickly assess the situation? Yeah, yeah that, that will always help. And I, I would say that having players with very high pace is always going to be useful as well because you want to take advantage of those situations very quickly. Good decisions will help as well in those transitions. You, you want them to react very quickly. And um, it also helps to have roles that look to make, look to play very direct and look to be very penetrative with their runs. So um, shadow strikers are quite good for this. Um, obviously, pressing forwards are quite good for this as well because they also press very aggressively. Um, but they also make good runs in behind. They're quite direct as a role when on the attack duty. Also, in fo- inside forwards are quite effective for this as well because when you get that ball, you, you want to be in on goal very fast. You don't want to slow the play down it because you want to you want that defence to be disorganised. So then you have the inside forwards making runs directly in behind immediately. And then then hopefully you're creating a lot of quality chances. You'd want to avoid positions like the inverted winger or the supporting winger, people who, you know, sort of cut inside and try and help with build-up. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there's probably a way you can make it effective. But I'd say you you really want to have an idea of, OK, I want at least a couple of players in the attacking half of the pitch that are going to make those penetrative runs. You don't want an entire front line of supporting players, for example, 
because then when you get the ball back, who's going to be the one getting the chances? You, you need to have a good balance in attack. So it can be you have one supporting winger, but you'll need the other players to be uh, attacking. The obvious choice for a striker will be the, the pressing striker, but there's three different roles there. Can you, can you explain the difference with those, those roles? Yeah, so the, um, the the pressing forward role, it's got um, it's got an attack and a defend and a support duty. So on attack duty, it, uh, I like to think of it as a bit of a Jamie Vardy-esque sort of role. You know, they're aggressive, they're intense, they'll chase things down. But when you're in possession, they're looking to get, get in the end of things and score goals and make runs in behind. Um, on the defend and support duties, they're a bit more support, uh, a bit more creative, a bit more supportive. So they will press and defend aggressively and they'll drop back with your team based on your line of engagement to get behind the ball. But when you get the ball, they're less they're less like a Jamie Vardy and they're more looking to receive the ball with their back to goal and play other players in. Is it a good idea to go full Gegen for like the whole 90 minutes? Or, or does it work quite nicely to do what, what Guardiola used to do at Barcelona where you, you switch between a, a really intense game plan and and a sort of breather tactic like just slowing it all down just keeping the ball getting your breath back for 10 minutes yeah i think it definitely helps to have a, a breather tactic as you say you can't just go gung-ho every game for an entire season and not expect it to have a detriment on your team in terms of injuries and long-term fitness um i think guardiola is a very good example because it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stop pressing you know, you still have to keep running off the ball. It's a bit like Guardiola said earlier this week when he was asked about his tactics in his uh, City's recent run of form. He said, when we've got the ball, we're walking and we're jogging. But when we don't have the ball, we run like it's the last ball in our lives. And I think that's a good way of looking at how you can conserve energy. So maybe you can you can tone down your, your tempo, your directness, and you can still have that aggressive high press. But when you do get the ball, you're just slowing things down a bit and retaining possession. And that could sort of kill off the game because you're just playing keep ball at that point. But you're still conserving more energy because when you're on the ball, your players aren't just sprinting in behind every time. They're, they're just slowly walking around, keeping their position, keeping shape. So if you've got your your players, they've, they've got high physical stats, they've got high mental stats. You've got your formation set up that's either going to be one of the template formations that are there or something that you've you've done more specifically to counter certain threats. I think it goes without saying that you're probably going to have to rotate over the course of the season, particularly if you're in the, the lower leagues and you're doing 46 games. What can you do in pre-season to, to best gear yourself up for this because one of the things we keep hitting on this show and in the articles on the athletic is everything links to everything you need to have one kind of overarching philosophy for your team how would you go about doing pre-season training yeah definitely it's very important and as you say it needs to happen in pre-season and you can't start it during the season so these these kind of high intensity tactics will make your players more likely to get tired later on in the season. So early on in the season, you might be able to get away with it, but your long-term fitness will suffer. So it's a good idea in the pre-season to sort of be focused on getting almost fitness in the bank for later in the season. And it just makes the less likely to get fatigued. So um, there's physical endurance sessions that you can do early in pre-season. And you can be quite heavy with those. Um, you probably don't want to do them once the season's already kicked off because that will 
these physical endurance sessions, they'll affect the players' long, t- short-term fitness quite negatively. But it does mean they've got more of that long-term resistance to to survive over the, the course of an entire season. So it's very important early in that pre-season to almost go quite hard on the players and prepare them for what's going to come throughout the season. So this is like uh, Bielsa's murderable training, isn't it? You you don't want yeah. to be doing it all the way through. If you do get to a point, you know, sort of February, March time, when you're getting those horrible drained red hearts, what what's the best thing to do? Never be afraid to just give your players a bit of a rest when they need it. You know, on the on the training, you, you can give your whole team a rest after a difficult game, for example. If you've not been able to give them a breather during the match and switch to a a less intense tactic because you know maybe it's been level for quite a long time and it's a big match you can give them the next day off sometimes that's better than having them in for that extra day of training just because it's no point it's no point training them if they're not going to be fit for the next game so um, you can give the whole team a rest but you can also give individual players a rest when they're tired as well you can give them a few days off you can um, even give them a whole week off if they're if they're really bad will there be any negative effect to that if you to say give the whole first team squad, I don't know, three days off. Will they come back rusty or is it just you You just haven't got the opportunity to improve them for three days? Yeah, I think as, as long as it's a very short period of time, then the, the negative effects are mitigated a bit. But yeah, that does mean you do have less specific preparation for the next match. So if you have a match on a Saturday, then a match on a Tuesday, they might already have the Sunday off. And if you give them the Monday off, then you've really got no time to prepare for that next match. But then it's sort of you have to make a, a call between do you want the extra time to prepare them for the next match or do you really need to just get them fit again? Maybe your backup options aren't quite as good as you'd like. Now, uh, in your role on, on Q&A, you're, you're going to get, I would imagine, 90% of your messages being from people screaming at you that the game is broken because their, their gag and press isn't working. Um the answer invariably is it's your tactics. But what are, what are the most common mistakes that people are making? I think a lot of the problems come from people only really think about the way that they want to play. They don't like to think about how the opposition are going to play and how to counter that. Um, it's a bit like I said earlier with the formations. Don't just think about the formation from your team's perspective. Think about it from the opposition's perspective. What area, What spaces do you want to congest? What spaces do you not want them to operate in? Where are they going to be dangerous? And um, it also applies to your tactics as well. Maybe you don't want to play in a really high aggressive gay compress every game. You know, you could play a gay compress, but then also in certain games against really high quality teams that are very good at beating a press, maybe you just want to sit back a little bit, you know, go down a couple of notches on the line of engagement and then sort of invite them onto you a bit more before then you aggressively press them. Because, you know, you see Liverpool do that as well. They don't just... They don't just go crazy every game and press people like mad. There's certain games where they'll they'll sit off a little bit more and play more of a mid-block because they know that the opposition are dangerous. Um, but it also means against certain teams, maybe lower down the league when they're really parking the bus and they're struggling to break them down, sometimes it's beneficial to just sit a little bit deeper and then let them come out a bit more and that can open up space, especially if you've got very slow centre-backs and you invite them onto you a bit more. You might be able to catch them in behind. Whereas if you're just pressing them and pressing them and pressing them, they're, they're sort of happy not to have the ball. It's a bit like Mourinho said sometimes. There's it, times where he told his team, just clear the ball away. I don't want you playing with the ball. If we don't have the ball, we're happy because then we're all in shape. Sort of give them the give them the impetus to actually attack you sometimes and you, you might get some joy out of it, especially if you haven't got those really creative playmakers that can break down the low block. 
That is brilliant. Let's, Jack, while we've got you here, we've had a, a really great email from uh, Terry Wenner in Germany. Uh, he says, in at least three episodes on season one, you mentioned that you look for positioning in your strikers. Now, Terry says that's a purely defensive attribute and, uh, and, and a sort of defensive counterpart to off the ball. Tom Davidson and another guest from SI didn't intervene here. So I would like to know if I should start looking for positioning in strikers although it's not marked as important, or if you should stop looking at that um, and start concentrating solely on off-the-ball stats. Um, Jack, you know this game better than most. Um, is positioning something you look for in forward players or just defensive? Well, yeah, in short, they're right. Um, positioning, it's a bit of a confusing concept because, you know, when people say positioning, they might mean attacking positioning, but um, we sort of call that off-the-ball so sometimes people say positioning when they actually just mean off the ball. Um, they don't necessarily mean the defensive side of the game. But in terms of football manager, the, the positioning attribute is primarily defensive and the, the attacking movement is um, primarily off the ball. So yeah, I, I don't necessarily look for positioning in my forwards. Even in a high press, I'd, I'd more want to look at stuff like anticipation, aggression, determination to be more effective in a press. I, I don't really necessarily look for positioning. So that poor kid in the under-18s in my Sunderland team, the striker who had a positioning of one that I was definitely <laughs> trying to fix, uh, probably could convert into a centre-back. That's fine. Um, thank you so much, Jack, for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate that. Um, if you've got any questions about that tactic, or, or indeed anything else, drop us a line. It's imacintosh at theathletic.com. Jack, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. Okay, up next, we're off to the community centre. But first, this is, of course, the Football Manager Show by The Athletic. And you've been listening to this show long enough to know what The Athletic is. It's where all the best journalists live. But why would you pay money for football journalism, eh? They're giving it away for free on the internet. Ben Davis, that's why. Because when I heard that Liverpool were signing Ben Davis, my first thought was the Tottenham left back. The Athletic, on the other hand, had hit the big red button and they'd deployed James Pearce, Simon Hughes, Adam Crafton, Mark Carey. Within hours, they had contributed to the sort of comprehensive profile piece that you'd expect to take a week to put together. It wasn't 2,000 words of wibble scraped off the side of Wikipedia. It was quotes from former managers. It was quotes from former teammates. It was actual, authentic information. And it was all sitting there on the app at the same time that I was saying, why have they signed Tottenham's left back? So grab your phone, type in theathletic.com forward slash fmpod, and you can subscribe right now for a very special price. The Football Manager Show Community Centre. Welcome to our new feature, the Community Centre. Uh, we spent all of Series 1 talking to the biggest brains at Sports Interactive, people like Jack, and we will keep doing that, but we want to speak to the brightest talents in the community too, and so we're going to need you to tell us uh, what you love that's out there. Um, I'm going to kick off, you might remember RDF Tactics from Season 1, who, when I was complaining about having once again bought Connor Wickham in a desperate bid to make him good. RDF Tactics got in touch and said, use him as a wide target man. Uh, hardly anyone can play there, and it turns out he's perfect for it. He was right as well. well he doesn't just dispense advice to strangers on the internet. Uh, he's got a new video out 
and it is a guide to playing like a Rigo Sacchi. It's based on a really great blog by Magnus Steinkelson, um, and that is at Steinkelson on Twitter, which is S-T-E-I-N-K-E-L-S-O-N. And it's it's really good. I was, I was so impressed with it. Here's, here's a clip of it. Have a listen for yourself. Sacchi educated his forwards in the work of putting pressure on the opposing central defenders in their build-up and control of the ball. This was based on the 4-4-2 formation in which all players had to understand their positional relationship with each other. The counter press was often triggered when an opponent received the ball in the half space or the wide channels, as the in possession player in these circumstances had fewer passing options in close proximity. So, if you get on Twitter and uh, go to RDF Tactics or, or look for it on YouTube, you'll find that video. I was so impressed with this, and it, it's such a perfect place to to begin this this series because it is more than anything else just a really good video about football there's a bit of history there's some tactical stuff there's some nice visuals it's a really really smooth piece of work and you know if i thought my nottingham forest team were even nearly capable of executing that sort of football i'd probably give it a go so here's what i need from you email me i macintosh at theathletic.com that's macintosh m-a-c-i-n-t-o-s-h by the way uh, send me your best community content i'm looking for stuff that that really adds something that, that really that does something new a, a new kind of delivery a new style uh, maybe it's just amazing writing maybe it's another great video who knows but there is so much stuff out there um, and we want the very best of it so i'm really looking forward to seeing these coming in you're listening to the Football Manager Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. All right, it's time for your letters. And for this, oh, another sparkly new thing, a voice. Welcome, producer Abby. Hello. Hello, Abby. You've got the post bag. Um, who's written in? Yes, we've been rifling through your bulging mailbag. And we have a message from Dan Aldridge. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist it. <laughs> what? What does Dan say? <laughs> Dan says, how can I maximise the chance of a golden generation youth intake? I have maxed junior coaching, recruitment, etc. Also, is there an easy way to spot high potential players from youth intakes without scouting them or missing the chance to use the approach to sign feature? All right. Well, Dan, we, uh, we, we took this to Sports Interactive and they say... Your best bet is maxing out the relevant facilities as mentioned. So junior coaching, youth recruitment, youth level, youth facilities. But another trick is to establish some affiliate club links with teams around the world with which you can expand your club's reach. Now, in terms of spotting high potential players in youth intakes, well, I assume, Dan, that you mean at other clubs rather than your own. Uh, main advice here would be to look at the higher reputation clubs in higher reputation nations because they're more likely need to have wonder kids coming through a bit of manual scouting on the attributes page also helps and this applies to your own intakes as well as with real life it's impossible to know for sure just how high a player's ceiling is but certain attributes like determination can give you a bit of an insight into the player's personality and how likely they are to reach their potential it's also worth mentioning that the golden generation description in the game is dependent on the member of staff's judging player ability or judging player potential attributes. And it's also relative to the level of player already at the club. So tread carefully. What else have we got there, uh, Abby? We've got one Alex Stewart. Is this the same Alex Stewart? Alex Stewart of TIFO fame. Ah, what does he have to say? The very same. He asks, I have a question in two parts. How long does it take to complete coaching badges? And if a manager is doing, say, their C licence at a club, but then leaves, does it restart the process? 
Well, Sports Interactive say coaching badges take a varying amount of time based on the qualification level and the staff member's ability to attain that level. On average, they'll usually take between a few months and a year. And if the coaching course is being funded by the club, then yes, leaving the club will cause it to reset. I've got uh, another one here with someone who's got the best surname I've heard today. Brian Benjafield. Oh, yes. So Brian asks, what I am wondering is whether a player's attribute is more or less important than their overall rating. I know the actual ability rating is a hidden attribute, but for example, if I have a striker who is rated as 18 at finishing and 16 at heading, and I buy him for Liverpool, and there he is rated at two stars for ability, is he more likely to score goals than my four-star striker, who only has attributes of 15 for finishing and 10 for heading? There's a lot of numbers in there. There was a lot going on there. All right, Sports Interactive say the first thing to note is that attributes and ability are the same thing. A player's ability, which is the hidden number represented as an estimated star rating by your staff, that's made up of their attributes with higher weighting given to those more appropriate to the position a player plays in. So if a striker has a really high finishing, like a finishing of 19, that's obviously going to have quite a lot of effect. So that player with lower finishing but a higher star rating must have other attributes that make them an an overall better striker, in the eyes of your staff at least, um, even if not specifically at finishing. So it might be that they are particularly good off the ball uh, or particularly quick or accelerated, that, that kind of thing. Now, it's important to remember that attributes are king. They are what matter on the pitch. If you think a player has the perfect attributes to play the role you want them to play, go for it. The staff are offering their educated opinion, but they are not always right. And we've got one more letter from Jason T from Dorset, who just asks, what went wrong at Bournemouth? No patience. No patience in the modern game, Jason. Come here. Give us a hug. Poor man. Poor man. Keep your letters, your queries and your, your reviews coming in. It is at fmpodathletic or email me, imacintosh at theathletic.com. Uh, still to come, the continuation of our FM Bundesliga challenge. And up next, book club. Hi, I'm James McNicholas, and I'm here to tell you about the latest series from Beyond the Headline, the making of Big Sam. You see, Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football, and English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? To answer those questions and more, you'll hear from Big Sam himself, those who have worked for him, and those who've witnessed the full Big Sam experience. You can hear it all now and ad-free via the Athletic app. Just search for Beyond the Headline now. The Football Manager Book Club. So, last week, my fault entirely, completely forgot to ask for your suggestions. So, I had to adapt. And fast. I bounded onto Apple Books and I skimmed through the options, and then I chanced upon Laurie McMenemy. Now, for the younger listeners who have no idea who this is, Laurie McMenemy is a, a kind of militarised Danny Cowley. He never played professional football, but he rose to become one of the most recognisable faces and voices in British football. Um, where, where Cowley has tactics as his superpower, Laurie Mack has discipline. I'm telling you, he is a disciplined 20, bright green, largely because of the time he spent in the Coldstream Guards. When you see a picture of him, you'll, you'll understand what I mean. This is a, a great big Geordie unit. 
This is one of the reasons why he rose so quickly. He went from Bishop Auckland uh, to Doncaster to Grimsby. He went to Southampton and he won the FA Cup as a second division team. Uh, he went to Sunderland and it, it didn't go well. And, and I could definitely talk for ages about his time as assistant manager to Graham Taylor with England. But you, you should probably just dig out the documentary on YouTube. It's, it's all in there. I honestly thought I was going to hate this after a few pages because it, it falls into a trap frequented by, by a lot of football books in that it spends absolutely ages on his childhood. Uh, and while that is interesting to a certain extent, it's not really what, what I came for. Um, but the reason that this gets a thumbs up is it has such a curiously self-effacing style. I mean, this guy was a big name. He was a good manager. And he discusses all the famous people he meets as if he's like a ball boy recounting famous players. It's actually quite charming and, and probably quite revealing too. There's a section where he takes his lower league team to Anfield to go up against Bill Shankly. And if you have any interest in man management, it's it's absolutely fascinating to see see the, the effort that Shankly puts into every single game and maximising the effect he can get. Um, there, there's a glorious bit with his palpable sadness. He gets pied by Jeremy Clarkson at award ceremony. And then, of course, it all unravels at Sunderland. And believe me, I feel his pain on that one. Laurie McMenemy is an old school manager. He did it the hard way without having that playing experience to draw on. And that's a story worth reading, particularly in lockdown. We've got nothing else to do. And the great news is I got this for 99p on Apple Books, 99p. It's almost rude not to buy a book at 99p. Um, so that's uh, Laurie McManamy. Uh, give it a read. It's really, really good, uh, particularly if you don't know anything about the man at all. But we do need a new book. So let me know what you've been reading. Let me know what's really working for you and we'll try and take a look and that email address again is imacintosh at theathletic.com The Football Manager Bundesliga Challenge FM Challenge then. Now, if you've been reading The Athletic, you'll have seen that Alex Stewart and I have begun our Football Manager Challenge in the Bundesliga. He's managing Stuttgart. I'm managing Schalke. You can read about the whole thing at The Athletic. However, um, I do know that for some people, um, hearing about other people's football manager games kind of ranks up with hearing about other people's dreams. That's why we stuck it at the end of the show. So if you've got no interest in that at all, you feel free to log off. I will not take it personally at all. However, if you want to know how the first three games have gone, well, stick around. Because the season has begun, my Schalke team have won two out of their first three games. Alex, sitting with a solitary point in the bottom half of the table, Alex, it really hasn't gone as we'd expected. Um, by which you mean you're doing better than I am? <laughs> it's going all right, isn't it? <laughs> it's going all right for you, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, look, the first thing I'd say is that, that we were both handed quite unpleasant opening fixtures. Um, I think we've, we've both played Leipzig, haven't we? And I've also had Bayern at home. So a, a tricky set to get going with. 
Yeah, I mean, um, to to bring you up to speed, uh, listener, um, Red Bull away from home for a starting game with Schalke was entirely unkind, but we didn't do that bad. I mean, yes, in if you're dealing with it on an XG level or a possession level or the fact that my goalkeeper was man of the match level, yes, they pulled our pants down in front of everyone, but also it was two all in the 91st minute. Yes, they scored an injury time winner, and yes, we lost. But yeah, it was a lot closer than I thought it would be. Yeah, I, I we lost. Uh, we lost two nil away at Leipzig, but their goalkeeper was man of the match, um, and we we had twelve shots to their eight. So again, and look I, at that, and I, we got I, the same number of points. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so <laughs> I, I I don't know the the lesson that I'm taking from this so far is that. Preseason was good. The formation works. Everything suggests that we're heading in the right direction. We've just played two really good teams. So no crisis of confidence, no massive tweaking. I know that's somehow you, you quite like to do these sort of knee-jerk tactical changes, don't you, when things are going wrong. I, I like to be much more consistent uh in in the approach well, so I'm, f- I'm sticking with it in fairness in the history of me playing this game panicking has usually been a very very good option uh <laughs> yes but but i mean i think i think this instance you probably panicked more when you saw the Schalke squad than you're panicking currently with the results you've achieved is that a reasonable assessment it I mean, you you watched my my second game against Hoffenheim, in which they uh, I think they they went close three times in the first two minutes. Um, their XG was a very very steep line. Uh, they took an entirely deserved lead, but we ended up winning four one with all four goals from uh, uh, Paciencia, um, who's my on loan striker. So that that was a remarkable. He, he was on fire. Then we went to Union. He was brilliant. And then we went to Union Berlin and we beat them 2-0. Now, again, largely the, the crueler-minded people would say that's because they were reduced to 10 men quite early. But, you know, a win is a win. That's two wins from three. I'm, I'm, I'm all right about that. I didn't expect to get that many points inside the first 10 games. No, no. I, 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 so I've got one point. I, I managed to draw against Augsburg which is uh, the Schwabian derby, apparently. So I actually had three big fixtures. I would also point to the fact that against uh, Leipzig and also in my home loss to Bayern, I out-XG'd them in both instances. So this is something that I'm clinging on to. It's it's a a new facet of, of football manager in 21 that, that can give you a glimmer of hope, possibly, that even if results aren't going your way, you're still actually producing better chances than the opposition. So... You know, yes, we lost to Bayern, but in out XGing them, uh, I, I think that's and and getting more shots on target. I think that's indicative that the fundamentals of this squad and the formation are sound. It, it's just a question of getting a little bit more luck and not playing the best team in Germany every week. Do you get a special trophy for for XGing people? Oh, that's 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 very funny. No. <laughs> I just <laughs> are we are we starting the mind games already? Yeah, no, this, this oh, is all bringing it back. A long, long time ago. No, Schalke are actually brilliant. They they started when when it was Celtic and Rangers, didn't they? No, I I, I suppose the point is that when when the preseason fixtures for me were quite straightforward. I think I had an easier run of preseason fixtures than you did, and and so 
racking up wins and everything is is great and you feel very encouraged and then you hit a couple of of early road bumps in terms of results um that could be an instance where you might panic and think ah that you know there's something inherently wrong with the way i've set the team up or the selections i'm making but if you're getting good xg results then it shows you are creating chances you're not really giving many chances away and so even if the score is not that great i mean i'm kind of talking myself into a brighton situation here uh <laughs> that that's the analogy we're going to play beautiful football and struggle all season uh possibly um but no i i just i i think once we get into uh, next month is a slightly easier run of fixtures and so i would be hopeful that that the form that we're showing will then manifest in results rather than me starting to really panic absolutely and the truth is you need sort of 10 12 games for things to even themselves out i think my first three games could very easily have been three defeats but but they weren't and and that's why i'm sleeping all right at the moment it won't last um keep your eyes on uh, the athletic um that'll all get written up and ready for monday i think along with lots of lovely pictures of uh, benito ramen um is it benito ramen yeah, it is. He's he's your oh, um, man. I accidentally got it right. Get, uh, Benito gets the ball Raman deep scoring. and then just charges forwards. That's that seems to he's be his mo. Wonderful. <laughs> he's absolutely. He scored a goal that was just like Jeff Hurst's in the World Cup. I'm going to try and get that on Twitter at some point. So keep following us uh, there. That is our new extended shiny new music wonderful season two show uh, remember if you've got any questions at all if you've got a book recommendation or if you just want to say hello email imacintosh at theathletic.com or find us on twitter at fmpodathletic if you like the show let people know give it a review or just recommend it to a friend that's how we got a second series that's how we get a third one too oh and remember that subscription deal at theathletic.com forward slash fm pod i've been ian mackintosh your guests have been jack joyce and alex stewart your producer was abby patterson and we'll be back next week Athletic.